Good morning, everyone. Echo, holy is the Lord. Hopefully you've downloaded that song by now. If you haven't, um, we're getting you ready for Christmas Eve with that. And uh, we're hoping to sing that all together as we look forward to uh, celebrating the birth of a king. And our service is coming up. If you cannot join us in person, we will be having our special streamed at 8 p.m. on Christmas Eve. And uh, that's always sure to get a great response, too. As we uh, are in our last Sunday before Christmas Day, as we've been working through our Christmas series, Resound, the word meaning to make a noise loud enough to echo, to resonate a particular sound, and then that third one, to laud a name, To praise a name, I pray that this has been impacting you as we've been talking about, one, the heart of worship, that God wants our hearts. He cautioned, may may your lips represent your heart well. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He reminded, he wants our heart. He loves you. Our attitudes, may we come into his presence with joy and gladness and enthusiasm as we get to be here, not have to be here. He wants our attitudes to be right before him. And today, we're going to take on even more of that concept as we work towards what we see as a call to worship. Uh, now, now, Christmas, we often will get messages at times about the reason for the season and why we need to make sure that Christ is first in Christmas. And, and we've heard those, and they're great, and they're wonderful. But, you know, let's be honest. Some of us, some of us, especially the younger ones of us, are like, I'm just really looking forward to getting some gifts. I mean, I mean some of you have made a list and given it to whoever has maybe the most money in your life, right? You, you've gotten this out. Some of you have already gotten Christmas gifts, and, and some of you have treated yourself to a Christmas gift. You know, like, I, I deserve this, right? Now, now, we all have different kinds of Christmas gifts we like, and, 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 and each year we get different gifts. But this year, I was thinking about, what could I use? Have you ever given yourself a pre-Christmas gift? Like, I would look nice in this in Christmas Eve. Ladies, have you ever done anything like that? Girls, right? Right? Or if I had, you know, this before Christmas. Like, honey, if you got me a new jacket before Christmas to wear at Christmas Eve, hypothetically. But this year, this year, I don't know about you, but if you sit a lot at work, okay? Or if you sit a lot in your vehicle, guys, or, or if you sit a lot at the office, ladies, you know, sometimes it affects your back, especially as you get more advanced, right? And, and, uh, and you start thinking about chairs. And so what I did is I thought, I need to get a new chair. And, and there she is. <laughs> I, I need to get a chair that represents me well, that, that, that helps communicate to the staff kind of what I'm thinking. And so I was like, what chair could I get? You know, I went through, thought about it. And, you know, I spent a little bit of money on this, but I think this chair will really get across what I'm going for this Christmas. What do you think of my new chair? I got this. I got this. What? What? It's, it's my new chair. Some of you are laughing. Huh? See, see, this chair is great because I put it at my desk, and when the staff comes in for meetings... They all just understand. Ah. All right. 
I mean, I mean, we'll have board meetings and, and I'll be like, hey, Mike, could we get my chair in the board meeting? And we just kind of put it in there and then everybody comes in and sits down and then I just come into the board meeting and, and I sit down on my chair. Now, if you're visiting with us today and don't know if I'm joking or not, <laughs> I knew this stupid church, right? right? <laughs> but I mean, this chair is great. I mean, I took it to Applebee's the other night <laughs> and they were like, and they're like, you know, uh, could we get you a, a seat? I said, we won't need a seat. I brought my own chair. We'll just need a table. And then the waitress comes up and she understands where we're at. Hi, how are you? Oh, oh, she's in the presence of greatness. <laughs> Other people try to sit on my chair. Mm-mm, my chair. Understand, it's my chair. See, see, I've even put this in my car at times, see, so that your wife and, and your kids know who's driving. It really communicates. When you pull up to a stop sign and people look across and they see, they, like, how you doing? You know what I'm saying? You know, we're chuckling. We're giggling. But I mean, we've even been tempted to bring, if I had room, I was thinking about putting this chair out there in the auditorium and coming and see who would sit in it on a Sunday morning. Let's put this chair in the middle of the room, see who sits in it. I know there's some middle school boys who'd be like, let's go right now. It's a comfortable chair. Communicates a lot, this chair. And you know what? It's the exact chair that robs us of worship in our lives. Because there is a real enemy that tempts us to want to sit on this chair. If you're listening and can't see us on a podcast, we got a throne on the stage. And we all wanna sit on that throne. Maybe it's at the workplace. And if somebody else gets to sit on the throne, something inside you wells up, resentment or, or, or selfish ambition. Some of us, we're on a sports team and we want this to be what our bench chair looks like when we go to sit down. Coach, do you understand who is on your team? Parents, we want our children in school sometimes sitting on this. And when you want that, or when you're there, you're including like, hey, hey, oh, my opinion counts. My attitudes, my thinking. We can even get our social media out in our chair. But see, there's things that come along with this chair. See, if you're on the throne, then you better deliver because people are expecting you to. It's a lot of pressure on this chair. Sign me up, I'm up for it. You'll let people down. They'll critique you, they will praise you. Young people, you'll learn in your life, sometimes it's easier to handle failure than actually success. Some of us spend our entire lives trying to get on this throne. Oh, I'm speaking obviously symbolically. But there are men who have sat on these thrones throughout generations. You know what, they've all come and they've all gone. But what I hope we learn today is, when we make life about being in this chair, on this throne, it brings with it selfish ambition, selfishness, pride, anger, judgmental attitudes, shame, because we wanna be on that throne.
And so I want to encourage us today to get off the throne. There's only one person who belongs on that throne. I'll hear people say sometimes when it's snowing, hey, we got no business going out tonight. As you get older, it's for everything, right? Hey, we got no business doing that, you know? As you get advanced. But you know what? I'll even hear my wife at a certain time at night, she'll be like, I got no business being up. Guess what, folks? If I understand the scripture correctly, there is no human outside the God-man who belongs on that throne, amen? amen? And if we get on the king's throne, life is full of anxiety and stress and pressure and division and anger. Get off the throne and turn your attention to the throne and life becomes worth ship. You're gonna have to ask yourself at some point in your life, will I live for my glory or his glory? Will I live to be, have my praises sung or his praises sung? Will I long to be on the throne or to come before the throne? Today I wanna to call our sermon a call to worship, a call to come before the throne. And it isn't a worthy approach. And you'll see the Christmas story, especially Luke chapter two, is all about people being drawn, being drawn to the king of kings, Jesus, to worship him. You know, it's, a, it's an echo throughout the Christmas story of John 6, 44. No one can come to me, Jesus said, unless the Father who sent me draws them. And we're gonna watch God just draw people to Bethlehem. This little town, nothing special about this town. But who was born in this town is the king of kings. And we come today to celebrate him. We come today to make sure we never get on his throne. For we have no business on that throne. Heavenly Father, use today's text to minister to us. Lord, the throne is a temptation by the enemy because he knows we can't handle it. He knows what it brings. He knows the division that comes. He knows the resentment. He knows the jealousy. He knows the power struggles. He knows our controlism. He knows all of these aspects about our lives. And he tempts us to get on the throne, just like he tempted Adam and Eve. And this morning, Lord, in the midst of a distracting world, a fast-moving society, a hustle culture with multiple endeavors going at one time. May we just stop right now, hear the angels sing, kneel by a manger. May we worship the King of Kings. We pray this as we enter our text today, Lord, in your name, amen. How many of us know the song, Do You Hear What I Hear? It has served as our three questions we're asking of our text as we walk through the Christmas story with a little bit of a fresh perspective and asking, do you hear what I hear? Do you see what I see? Do you know what I know? And then we're flipping that and saying, God, 
What do you hear? What do you see? What do you know that we need to know? And so today we're gonna make three stops, one by a hillside to a group of what the world would call lowly shepherds. And then second, we're gonna stop at a manger. I think you know what's gonna happen there. And then third, we're gonna follow a star. And in doing so, we're gonna ask, do you hear what I hear? Do you see what's going on here? Do you know what I know? And so join me as we head into Bethlehem and read from Luke chapter two, probably some of the most famous words ever written in scripture. Very hard to get through the Christmas season without hearing these words, even in a Snoopy special. You'll hear some of these words. Let me read the account to you. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be registered. Now this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Wow. He was of the house and the lineage of David. And he was registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Wow, the God of the universe in a manger. And then Luke shifts to the scene on a hillside. In the same region, there were shepherds. They were out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Scripture says that at that moment, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Do you hear what I hear? An angelic realm, it, it said a heavenly host came from their dwelling place in glory over a hillside in Bethlehem do you hear what I hear? I hear the praise of a band of angels. That's what heavenly host means. It carries the idea of angel army. It carries the idea of organization. It carries the idea of a band coming in organization to praise into the night sky and echo glory to God in the highest and peace on earth with whom he is pleased. They're coming in what scripture calls with good news. And they said, this will be a sign. You're gonna see a baby in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. 
Worthship resounds, I wrote. The glory of a coming king. Worship resounds his glory. It goes out that God is great, God is good, and it brings joy to those who worship him. But it fills the air with good news. Why do you think the world is always just a little bit more cheery at Christmas time? Is it just because of their gifts? No. For materialism has tremendous consequences come January. Is it possible because it's the only time of year where worship music is being pumped through all our stores? And the echo of it came upon the midnight clear. Glory to God in the highest is at Wawa as you fill up your drink. (laughs) Ah. I mean, on the way to the register, do you get a little Santa baby? Sure. And I can sing along, slip a little thing under the tree. But there's nothing like music for the glory of a coming king. But I also heard something else. Did you hear they said that will be a sign for you? There'll be something you should be looking for. That tells me something. If there's a sign, that means there was some prophesying that went on about this moment. This wasn't random. This wasn't happenstance. Somebody must have said this was going to happen. There'll be a sign for you. Do you know where that sign comes from? Do you know where this information comes from that these angels are proclaiming throughout the night sky? In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah writes something that's been penned at times, the star prophecy. And the star prophecy was studied by prophets all the way back into early Babylon. And the star prophecy spoke of something that would occur in the future. It was written approximately 700 BC. Young people, if you don't know, before Christ. 700 years before he's on earth, this was written. It's called the Emmanuel sign. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign, Isaiah wrote. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. This is going to happen some years from now. This was penned in 700 BC. If you had information from the past that predicted the current day, you'd be like, man, that's hard to argue with. And you might be here today and you were drugged into church by some Bible thumper who loves you, okay? And you're sitting here going, well, yeah, of course there's a prophecy. I mean, if you read the Bible, then you can take the Bible and defend the Bible with the Bible. But, but, but what if I told you that Isaiah wrote on a scroll and these scrolls were copied in manuscripts? Do you understand the only way to verify an original document is to compare it with manuscripts that date later? That is the historical way to study a document from antiquity. In 1947, in the Qumran caves, there was discovered 
something called the Dead Sea Scrolls. And one of those scrolls in that cave was the great Isaiah scroll that has now been dated approximately 100 BC. So some possibly 600 years after the original was written, there was a manuscript found. They compared the two and the spot on accuracy was phenomenal. And so there is a document, a historical, archeological dug up document of the Isaiah scroll that sits in the shrine of the book in Jerusalem. So let's say you don't even agree or believe in the Bible. There's a document in a museum of the Isaiah scroll. And in that Isaiah scroll, hundred some years before Jesus would appear, it says this, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulder. This will be a king. This child is no normal child. This will be a king, and his name shall be called. You're expecting Jesus, but this is prophecy. So he gives multiple titles. Isaiah writes, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. In the Hebrew, with which the Isaiah scroll is in, it means a wonder of a counselor. Not any counselor, a wonder of a counselor. When you go before this throne, you will go before a wonder of a counselor. There will be wisdom pouring out from this throne that you can't even imagine. His name will be called Mighty God. In the Hebrew, it means God who is mighty. When you approach this throne, you're going before the triune God of the universe with all power and all might. He will be God who is mighty. He is called the everlasting father. You don't even have the word eternity if the Bible wasn't given to us. And eternity has a father and he sits on a throne so if eternity had a dad, it would be this boy. He's the father of eternity, the everlasting father, and finally, the prince of peace. If there's a ruler somewhere that could rule over peace, that could even stand on boats and shout, peace be still, this is he. He is a prince of peace. He is the ruler of peace. Why would you go to the world's counselors? Why would you long for the world's power? Why would you desire to live only for this temporal time on earth? Why would you go to anything else for peace than this throne? <laughs> and the angels they said, glory to God. Oh, glory. How do you ascribe glory to someone? Ask a recruiter of an athlete. How do you describe glory? Well, I can do this, this, this. They speak well. How do you describe glory to a musician? Oh, the way they handle this and the way they do the notes and the way they understand music and how to read music and play music and perform. There's so many aspects. How do you bring glory to anyone? You speak of their names. If your devotional life is struggling at all, may I encourage you to study the names of God. You should know what Jehovah Jireh means. You should know what these names bring because they add glory to God. How in my worship can I do a better job of bringing glory to God?
Well, the angel said, shepherds, go. Go to the manger. And so I, I go back into scripture here, and I look, it's Luke chapter two. And I read, when the angels went away from heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Oh, and they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all of these things in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying God and praising his name for what they had seen and heard, just as it had been told them. At the end of the eight days, they called his name Jesus. Imagine a lowly shepherd. Realizing he's for all mankind. This little boy is not just his mom's. He's for all mankind. In that manger is a visual of a verse you might have memorized. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, not just for your pastor, not just for your grandma, bless her heart, but for you. That whoever believes in him won't perish, but have everlasting life. Who can offer everlasting life? The one who sits on the throne and who is now left his endless throne of glory to be in a cradle in the dirt, to be held by the very hands he created. This is Emmanuel. This is God with us. Do you see what I see? Lowly shepherds are the one who get to carry the message. Society barely regarded them. And the king of kings did not come down and say, where's the castle? The king of kings did not come down and go, where's the Pharisees and the Sadducees? The king of kings came down and was born in a cradle. Why? To fulfill the law and prophets and to redeem my life. The shepherds brought a message. They brought the message of the angels. And I saw in that text, people were astonished by the message the shepherds shared as they told Mary and Joseph what they had heard from the angels. Mary, who had visited by, been visited by an angel. Joseph, who had been visited in a dream by an angel. I bet they were all ears. It says Mary pondered these things in her heart, for there were angels saying, this is a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And these shepherds come up and share this, and it's called the good news. Angels say, we have good news. And so I wrote, worship resounds a message 
of good news. Of good news. Don't we all need, who, who likes good news? I love good news. Why do we so, spend so much time watching bad news? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, why do we spend so much of our time watching bad news and talking about bad news? Why? Do you think, do you think the enemy's behind that at all? Do you think if he can get God's church talking about the bad news all the time, spending your entire Christmas break talking about the bad news all the time. We had a staff Christmas party. The, the pastors got together um, for just a, a, a time together, and Pastor Doug gave out a decree. He, he went like this. I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. He said, no talking about politics. No talking about what's going on in the news and no talking about church tonight, pastors. And we sat there silent the whole night. <laughs> silent night, holy night. We talk about the bad news. We watch bad news. We watch it. I'm sorry, enemy. This Christmas, I'm going to talk about good news. There's always going to be bad news on this side of eternity. In this world, you will have trouble, Jesus said. Sin has entered this world, and because of it, you will deal with that. Take heart. I came that Christmas night to give you good news. What? It's not always going to be this way. Say it again, Jesus. I have beaten death. I have provided hope. I bring Good news. One of the greatest testimonies you can have, child of God, especially in this coming 22 year, is to talk about the good news. Don't let the devil drown you out. He's fooled me. He's tricked me. Has he done it for you? I've gotten, I've gotten off sometimes the good news and dwelled too much on the bad news. The shepherds brought, I put it down, good news. May I be someone who goes out of their way to try to bring good news. And that good news specifically is the gospel that Jesus came, lived and died, that we might live out the good news. Amen. And we need to share this. The apostle Paul said, of anybody, we need to be sharing this. Yeah. Do you remember the threefold question of Romans 12? Do you remember it? I bet you will when I read it. Paul says this. He says, how, look at this, I'm going to give it to you. How can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? How can they do that? Then second, he says, how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And then the third question, and how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And so if I'm the devil, I'm making sure the church is only talking about the bad news just in case somebody might tell somebody the good news. And that good news is wonderful news. In fact, Paul quotes an Old Testament passage and he says, that's why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring the good news. Those shepherds, folks, had some gorgeous feet. You know anybody with ugly feet? Those shepherds had some beautiful feet. 
Does anybody you need to know, they've been wearing bad shoes too long, they gotta get good new shoes? Because they bring the good news. I'll tell you what, I have enjoyed sneakers ever since Jordan put his first pair out. I was hook, line, and sinker. All you middle school, high school, college guys, you love sneakers. I am I'm right with you. I, you get a new pair of shoes on, and you walk into school, and you feel like, uh, hold up, not that chair. You walk into school, and you got your shoes on, and you're like, what's up? Look at them. You even look at them sometimes. Teacher's like, pay attention, Christopher. Got these shoes. I got some Bo Jacksons one time. I was like, what? Date myself a little bit. Good shoes bring good news. Who are you quoting, Apostle Paul? Who are you quoting? You're quoting the Old Testament. Who are you quoting? You're, you, you don't happen to be quoting Isaiah. Oh, he is. Look at this, Isaiah. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news, who publishes peace. People who publish peace, let's go. Get some more out there. The world's publishing enough fear. How about somebody publish peace? Who brings good news of happiness? Who publishes salvation? Can we get that word out there? Who says to Zion, your God reigns. He's on the throne. He's the king of kings. I want good shoes, Lord. I want good shoes. And I feel my Lord tucking on my shoulder going, then bring good news. Then bring good news. Your wife needs to hear good news. Your sons need to hear good news. Your daughter needs to hear good news out of their dad's mouth. Your church needs to hear good news. People need to hear good news. As long as they're on this side of eternity, they're going to get bad news. Somebody better be out there with some good shoes. Because how Beautiful are the feet of those who find good news. And in order to have good news, you're going to have to take yourself off the throne and put him on the throne. Because otherwise, you're only going to be dwelling on bad news. There's a star. We got one more stop. There's a star. We heard about the star prophecy. It seems there were those who were called wise men of the time. Wise men. In the Greek language means magi. There were magi studying, oftentimes studying the stars. They often looked to the stars to study these things. In fact, magi were often trained in the east. And in the east, there was one magi, there was one wise man who rose above all of them. In fact, the king would draw this wise man to himself because he was able to even interpret dreams. And this, this man became so massive, so large in the Babylon area that people would come to him and be trained by him as he rose in the kingdom. His name was Belteshazzar, but he became known as Daniel. And Daniel trained magi many times, often in the east. Is it possible that these magi were even told how to understand prophecy descending from even Daniel? We don't know. But look where they're from. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. 
Where is he? You would think Herod would go, oh yeah, the star. But that's not how he responds at all. It's always made me ponder. How come they weren't like, oh yeah, we've seen this massive thing. We've come to worship him. They ask, where is he who was born king? This is big. This is huge in Near Eastern culture. To be born a king placed you above other kings. There were kings who would become kings, but the wise men said he was born a king, which would immediately place him above Herod. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Why was Jerusalem troubled? Folks, when leaders are scared, when leaders are angry, when leaders have an agenda, all the people pay. And Jerusalem would understand this. It is not good for Herod to be troubled. And he assembled the chief priests and the scribes of the people and he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him by reading the scriptures, the Isaiah scroll, if you will, as well as other prophecies in Micah, the minor prophet. He's to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Herod, right next to you, you have people who say, it's Bethlehem. Do you see how people are responding differently? We have Magi following a star, and we have rulers and Pharisees and Sadducees who know the truth and have done nothing with it. The Bible didn't just predict a baby born of a virgin wrapped in swaddling clothes. The Bible told everyone what town. Oh, we just didn't see it coming. The Bible didn't just give revelation to the church. Church. If the Bible says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. And therefore, the greatest response in any time of trouble is to get off of our throne and get out there and start preaching the good news. And Herod summoned the wise men secretly. He said, come here, guys. And he ascertained from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Something's going on here. There can only be one king on a throne. May I remind myself of that in my own private life. There can only be one king on that throne. Either you're serving yourself or you're serving the king. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before them until the rest of the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. I mean, it's like the first sweet GPS going on for these magi. And they're like, let's go. And they come up and they, and they go into the house and they saw the child with Mary's mother. And they fell down. At a baby, and it fell down. At a child, maybe even one at the time, possibly, they fell down. They fell down and worshiped this one who was born king. And opening their treasures, they offered him their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. 
Do you know what I know? Throughout scripture, it is extremely clear. Throughout the Christmas story, it's extremely clear this, and may we never forget it. We are not supposed to be on this throne. And when we get on that throne, we imitate Lucifer and we demand worship for ourselves. We demand we know what's happening. We demand that nobody disobey. We control, we lord our power. We seek selfish ambition and many people have been pulled in by an enemy going, come and worship. Come and worship. Worship you, the newborn king. Worship, have everybody praise your name. May they sing your, and if they don't sing your praises enough, sing them yourself. But then we get on this throne and we realize it was all lies. And this throne's destroying families. There'll be families this Christmas not even talking to each other. And let me tell you something. Where you have a human being on the throne, you're gonna have stress. And when you have a human being on the throne, you're gonna have arrogance. When you have a human being on your throne, you're gonna have division. And I'm gonna promise you, child of God, if you're on the throne, worship is not a part of your life. There aren't dedicated times in your life where you are stopping what you're doing and giving honor to the King of Kings. Waking up and getting right at things puts you on the throne. Going through an entire day without any prayer is putting you on the throne. To think we can get through a day without prayer when Jesus didn't even do that is astonishing, isn't it? Because we got ourselves on the throne and I want you to picture the enemy trying to trick us and go, come on. Come on, riches, gain, praise of men. Oh, they'll laud your name. Go to the throne. Oh, they didn't bring your food as fast as you like. The church didn't do what you wanted. Get on the throne. Leader, look at you. Look at you, great leader. Oh, you're on a throne. Get off the throne. And come and worship church we weren't made to be on that throne. We were made to worship him. That's why we were made and it fulfills us. It will fulfill all your longings when you take time in your private world to worship God. How do I do that, Chris? Through prayer, through listening to worship songs. It helps me so much. Through singing, through serving him. through loving others as Christ loved you. These are ways we bring glory to his name because people see us and they look at our good works and they glorify their father who is in heaven because they see something that is a reflection of the king. And so it's as if we're going through life at this hustle pace or we're afraid of things and we're bunkering in or we're running into folly with our opinions and reckless, reckless emotions. And it's as if Jesus is going, guys, 
What? 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 Guys, come and worship. I can't, Lord, I'm busy. Come here. But you understand how stressed out I am. I know. Come here. What? 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 Don't you see the enemy is saying, come and worship? And I'm saying, you've got to silence him because all he's doing is trying to put you on your own throne. Get off that throne and watch the anxiety drop. Watch, watch the busyness get lined up. Watch your attitudes change. And so you're not destroying relationships every day. Watch what happens when you spend time with me. And so I've got to ask myself, am I going to come to worship God? Am I going to give him part of my day? Am I going to live my life for my glory or for his glory? Young person with that incredible athletic gift, are you going to live your life for your glory or for his glory? Young adult with that incredible mind, the ability to pass exams at reckless paces without even studying. We're all jealous of you. But are you going to use that awesome engineering mind for your glory or for his glory? Am I going to live to be praised or to sing his praises? Am I going to live to sing my praises? Or am I going to live to sing his praises? Can I ask you? No condemnation. Who do you talk about more? Yourself or him? Man, I didn't like writing that one. I didn't like, I wrote that. I don't like that one. That's convicting. We spend so much time talking about ourselves. Am I here to draw the attention to my throne and... Poor me, or even how about me? Or am I here to draw the attention to his throne? Am I here, here's my third question, am I here longing for the gifts? Come on, God, I want your gifts, I want your gifts, I want your gifts, I want them, I want them now, I want them now. Or am I here longing for the giver? Do I love the gift more than the giver? I'll tell you what, parents, know this. Kids, the greatest thing you can do is let us know you love the giver and then go, oh, sweet. God's the same way. I love to give you good gifts. He says in Hebrews, do your earthly fathers not love to give you good gifts? Yeah. I love to give you good gifts. How much more than do I? But love the giver. So I'm calling this church, I'm calling all of us to worship. You say, well, I'm gonna make this real practical to you. I'm gonna share something out of my own devotional life because I, I want to practice what I preach and I'm not always very good at it. I try to do my best. I hope you do the same. But I said, Lord, how am I gonna take more time to worship? Because I've been working on this series a little bit longer than just delivering it. And so I've created a couple environments where I've been really spending time worshiping him. And I'm gonna tell you, Music is a powerful tool to get me to stop for a bit. It really is. Music is a powerful tool to get my heart and attitude, okay? And then, can I say it, my butt off the throne, <laughs> okay? Music is a good thing. And I'm not talking about like any music, okay? I'm not talking about like you put your headphones on like, yo, all the girls love me, what's up? 
I'm the goat, come here, I'm the goat, right? Like all the world's music is designed to be like, you know, if you like it, then put a ring on, right? Like that's all the world. It's all like, it's all, all the world's music. You, you do it. Listen to music. It's all about getting you on the throne. And the bigger the throne, the better the song. Tell them I'm the man. I'm the man. I'm the man. Tell them I'm the man. That's the word. That's all they do because it, mm. church, it's not that hard to figure out. It's all about putting you on a throne. And when we give, oh, I like that song, right? And some of them are awesome. I'm not telling you I like them too. <laughs> as long as it doesn't dishonor the name of the Lord. But when you get out a worship song, young person, I want to teach you something if you don't know this. It can change your entire day. It can change your entire drive, and it can change your heart and attitude. So here's what I did. I wrote down seven things I learned. I'm going to give to you. Put these in my journal because I don't want to forget them. Seven things I learned about spending time with a worship song on in prayer, opening the scripture, at least giving some time of my day outside of the work to the Lord. I learned this. It recaptures your appreciation for God. It recaptures your appreciation. You're listening to a song. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful, and you're like, it is a beautiful name. What a powerful name. It is a powerful name. Why am I so worried about today? I have a powerful name. You're in the presence of greatness. And as that song pours through your ear, or songs like it, it makes you go, I appreciate you. Our Heavenly Father loves to hear us say we appreciate him. And what I've learned is complaining has no business around this throne because of the gratitude that exists when you spend time putting all the focus on him. I learned second, it refines your attitude. When you worship, you can change your whole attitude. You're in the presence of unconditional love. This is a love that doesn't love Chris because what he did today, how well he did or how bad he did. And many young people are growing up in homes of performance prisons that if they don't do well, they're not loved. And if they do do well, they're at least tolerated. And you come before a king who says, I love you despite what I know you did today. There's unconditional love there and it changes your attitude from selfishness to selflessness. It restores our joy. You're in the presence of grace. There is no condemnation before this throne. You'll never come before this throne and get shame on you, child of God. For there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And so that throne is a safe place. How many kings can handle a throne? I say none. There's only one king of kings who could handle being on a throne and offering unconditional grace. Where there is grace, shame has no business in this room. For you're loved. Guilt has no business in this room. And so when I hear a worship song that is speaking about how I am loved despite my shame, even at my worst is a song that has really been speaking to me. Even at my worst, you love me. Even at my worst, you love me. How many people love you when you're at your worst? It regains our hope. 
You're in the presence of victory. Defeat has no business in this room. You're standing, you're coming and bowing before victory and it fills you with hope. Put it on your car. Then I ran out of that grave. And you're like, let's go. I'm tired of being defeated. I'm tired of thinking defeated thoughts. I have hope. I have a resurrected savior. Why am I putting my focus on my failures instead of putting my focus on all his victories? Why? Because Chris, you're on the throne this morning. Get off of it. It rejuvenates our strength. You're in the presence of power, independence, and I'll do it. I don't need anybody's help. Has no business in this room. You need this king's help, and this king wants to help you. And the word rejuvenate or renew or, or restore, it, it has an exchange. The king is basically saying, you come to me with your weakness, and I will attack this with my strength. And so it rejuvenates us. You're in the presence of power. It rekindles our faith. You're in the presence of sovereignty. Anxiety has no business in this room. This king is in complete control. He's worried about no other ruler. All rulers are under his footstool, Revelation tells me, and he has nothing ever to fear. So when you're in the presence of sovereignty, which means he's in control of all things, anxiety has no business in that worship room. Folks, is it possible that all your struggles in your inner man could be solved by taking the focus off of yourself, getting up out of your throne and bowing before his? And that's why I conclude with it renews our devotion. In worship, it renews your devotion. That's why... I can go back into the high school years and play some songs. And this is the beauty of our generation. I can pull out old songs. I can pull out, you ready to laugh? I can pull out DC talk. I can pull out Petra praise, anybody. I can pull out all that stuff and listen to it just like I was in high school. And some of those songs still speak to me today. You're in the presence of royalty, folks, when you come before the king in worship. You are in presence of the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There is no business pride has in that room. And that's why pride got kicked out of heaven that day when it tried to be like God and Lucifer wanted the throne. You know what I did? I'll share this with you. I, I created a playlist, all right? This is gonna speak to some people. But I created a playlist of songs that draw me close. And I put this in my journal so I could go to it on my phone. And, and I, I got this. And these are songs that take me to these things and remind me of that. What a beautiful name. It's recapturing my attention. Walk with you. You should hear me doing Zach Williams in my car, folks. I can get country sometimes. Even at my worst, I love that song. All right, Glorious Day. I, I play it and I'm always like, I come in, I go, Gabe, we need to sing Glorious Day on a Sunday at some point, you know? Like, Battle Belongs to You. Oh man, that song rejuvenates my strength. His Eye on the Sparrow is my favorite hymn. And I love Newsboy's rendition of it. And every time it comes on, I actually feel the weight sometimes of anxiety just kind of lifting off of me. I gotta get before the Lord. I can't do this life on my own. And the older you get, or advanced you get, 
You have more responsibilities, more pressures, more failures that weigh in your head. Oh, the demons we sometimes live with of past mistakes. You need time before the throne of grace, folks. You need it so bad. Especially in a time period where you're tempted to think God's not in control. He's in complete control, amen? For he is the king of kings.